All right, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read a couple of verses that we are very familiar with, particularly the 29th verse, Romans 8. You're going to see God's resolution for you if you are truly born again. Verse 28 is the verse that Christians are most familiar with. It is encouraging, sure, but I just want you to know that verse 28 and 29 are all one idea. It's all one concept, so keep that in mind. In other words, some verses of the Bible, you could just isolate them, they stand on their own. Others are very dependent on what it's connected to. This is one of them. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to, and I want you to notice, His purpose. Whatever your purpose was when you came to Christ, I know my purpose was just to find peace, that was it. And I tried Eastern religions, a few of them, and if that had brought me peace, I probably wouldn't be here today. I would be in error, but I would be someplace meditating, chanting, which I did do. I did that. But then I never got the peace I was looking for. Then came Jesus. But what I found out along the way is that my purpose in finding peace, which I have found, was subordinate to God having some other plan of his own. And so he says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, before I go any further, let me say this to you. As you read the Bible and study it, you're going to find that you can go word for word and it just opens up. Sometimes in verse 28, when I'm meditating, I get caught on just the fact that the Apostle Paul says, we know. And many, many professing Christians don't seem to know what that verse just said. All things are working together for the good. But that raises the question, what is the good? Because discipline, as we know, chastening by the Lord doesn't seem to be good. It doesn't feel good. And so we have so many churches that solicit and then cater to people's comforts. And Jesus doesn't. So we know that all things work together for the good. Do you really know that? Don't tell me yes or no. Just think about it. Do you really know that what's working in your life is working for the good? Let me give you an example of how I'm looking at this little bump in the road here. Number one is testing my faith for Christ as a healer. I always try to get a backup just in case. I mean, you never know. He maketh me to lie down. If God made me to lie down today, I wouldn't be here. Aside from that, my view is to push through. So using this as an example, this minor bump in the road, this little obstacle, there are bigger obstacles, believe me. First of all, it's testing my faith. Do I really believe that Christ is the healer? Or do I spin off into a hysteria that this could be COVID, this could be dangerous, this could be taking my life? What if it goes into pneumonia? Yeah, what if? There's nothing that's beyond the hand of God to heal and deliver. Second of all, it tests my resilience. Will I be at my post if it's all possible to be at my post? Well, I'm here. And then there's other things. Faith is not faith unless it's tested. And we're balking. I said, we, people balk at these things and whine and complain about these things. And again, the chasing of the Lord and his tests are not pleasant. His blessings are. But not pleasant. And people, Christian people, professing Christian people balk at the obstacles, at the chastening, at the discipline at the stress that God, listen to me, God himself initiates. I'm not saying he brought this disease upon me because I look at sickness as just a tiny slice of death that is to be pushed off. Now, 
God can heal every sickness that we ever have except the last one. I'm going to die from something. I plan on dying from natural causes in my bed at an old age. That's my plan. But anyway, God can heal all sicknesses except the last one. I'm going to die from something. But the question here to begin with is, do you really know? To repeat the text is good, and if you repeat it long enough, it may sink in. But do you really know that the adversities in your life and the obstacles in your life and the stress in your life and whatever else we're going through or you're going through is working for your good? And my guess would be that you don't. That would be my guess. Now, I could be wrong, but my guess would be that the majority of you don't know it. You make the best of it, but you don't actually know that it's working for your good. That would be my guess, that you don't really know. I'm going to give you that today. And we have to acknowledge or learn, we are in a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and that's God's purpose. I must tell you that it's not mine. No, it's not. I would prefer that things didn't work out the way this book says they work out. That's the truth. I would prefer that God would let me amend his book, which preachers do. They just do it when they're preaching, either by avoiding verses or by just twisting the text out of its context And there you have your own version of the Bible, but it's not Jesus. We need to understand we are called according to his purpose. Again, my purpose was I just wanted peace. I only wanted peace. And I have found that. I really have. What I didn't count on, which because I didn't know 45 years ago, what God's purpose was and all the obstacles he was going to bring in. And that includes and specifically includes a personal crucifixion. I didn't know that. I probably would have been more hesitant to sign on had I known that. But God is wise as well. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. A lot of talk about predestination. Once saved, always saved. I'm not going there today. I can only tell you, if you look up the word in English, predestination, it points to verses like this one. That what is predestined is that we all, all of us here, Not just the pastor, all of us, every single one of you in this room or whoever else may catch this message somewhere. You were predestined by God to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And once again, let me say this. Yeah, I want to be like Jesus in many, many ways, but all of them are ones that please me. Where I don't want to be like Jesus is in the other things, whether it's a personal betrayal, loneliness, being misunderstood, and on and on. Sacrificing for others, you know, people who take from you that they walk away, they never come back, they never say thanks, or they crucify you. Those are the areas where I don't want to be like Jesus, and neither do you. So don't lie to yourself. However, we must come to accept that. We don't have to like it, but we have to come to accept it. That the predestination of God at the lowest level, which of course would be the highest level, is to be conformed to Jesus' image. What God is doing in my life, he's not doing in your life. What God is doing in my life is something different than what he's doing in your life because what I have need of, you don't have need of. And what you have need of, I don't have need of. But every single one of you, God has predestined you to be conformed to Jesus' image. And we can't sometimes even understand, I mean properly understand, the trial that you're going through doesn't register much in my mind because it's not a trial for me. And the trial of my life doesn't make much sense to you because it doesn't register in your mind. But every single one of you, myself obviously included, are being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's his purpose in saving us from our sins. 
That's not the superficial view, of course, when we just say, Jesus forgave me of my sins. That was the start. That was the gate. That's where we started. Uh, we began the journey. And again, I don't know that you knew. Maybe some of you did. Maybe it was properly explained to you. But I was saved in my bedroom with a gospel track. I didn't know that God was going to be working on me for the rest of my life. I didn't know that some of the things that God does hurts. I didn't know that. I know it now. And so now we get to a resolution, right? Mostly everybody's making resolutions. It's the brand new year. And if you want to lose weight and you're overweight, that's a good resolution. You know that I've been working out my whole life, six days a week. And I am resolved to continue that. And that's good, but it's not working eternity. It's just keeping me healthy enough to be here and whatever use I am to my family, a few other things. So you have goals, read more books. Somebody asked me of a suggestion about reading, just reading books, not just the Bible. And I gave them what I do. It's all good. But you have to understand that God made a resolution the day you professed to be born again. And that resolution was predetermined a long, long time ago before the world began. That you would be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ in all points. All points. The good ones, I mean, the ones that you like, the ones that I like, and the ones I don't like. Are you like me that you like people to like you? Are you like me that when someone doesn't like you, and I have a few people in my life like that, that I can't figure out why they don't like me. They've never articulated any problem. They just don't talk to me, don't make eye contact with me. And that disturbs me because I like to be liked. I want to be liked. Thankfully, I can say this as a testimony, well into the 90 percentile or more of people who I like, like me in return. But you have these type of anomalies in life and you can't figure out why. And so we go to God and we ask why. But if you keep your eye on the text here, you'll be able to say, and I know that everything going on in my life is working together for good. Let me go back to sickness. What good is sickness? In my mind, it's no good. So now you have to exercise your faith and build spiritual muscles to work against it. As I've told you in the past, would I be much more comfortable right now in my recliner reading my Bible, praying that whoever was here in the pulpit, God help them? Yeah, that would be much more comfortable for me. And maybe for you at the end of this, you'll say, this voice is awful. Don't lie. No. <laughs> well, it's not going to stay this way, so I'm not getting surgery done. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that would be comfort. My determination was duty to be here, however it turns out. Duty. I slept and dreamt that life was beauty. I awoke and found that life was duty. And that, my friends, is what sums it up. It's not about comfort. It's about duty. It's about doing what you're supposed to do. It's about being responsible and being accountable to God so that you can come to the place that you know the things that are in your life. And I started with a sickness, which you're not going to hear that from too many preachers today. And I'm not saying this sickness is good. I count it as an evil. I count it as a little slice of death. doesn't matter if it's floaters in my eye or a minor headache. To push against it in faith. For instance, to quote Luke 137 to say, for with God, nothing is impossible. I wouldn't be saying that if something wasn't against me. Or I wouldn't be soliciting your prayers for things as I do if things weren't against me. So you can start with anything you want, but you must know that it's all working together for good. If indeed you were called by the Lord. Now, I'm going to presume that you are. I'm not going to insult you and put you in a state of having to think about these things too much. And so we were called. 
All of us here. We were called by the Lord to follow him. But I would imagine that the great majority of you, if not all of you, had the same experience as me, that you did not know what it involved entirely. And how do you push back? You keep going forward. You just keep doing what you have to do. As I said, quoting from the poet, I slept and dreamt that life was beauty. I awoke and found that life was duty. At the end of your life, that's what it's all going to be about. So I shared with you a week or so back, just off the cuff remark, which I've had time to think about more and more. I'm sitting here in my office one afternoon before I did one of the Bible studies that I've been doing. And very, very quiet here when there's no one in the building and hearing the ticking of the clock gave me an idea. As the clock is ticking, I kept saying out loud for maybe 20 seconds, wasn't very long. With each tick of the clock, I kept saying, gone, 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 to remind me, my life is a vapor. Yours is a vapor. And we make resolutions by the year. By the end of this year, I want to, in six months, I want to, three months, I want a few weeks, whatever. But the smallest way that we divide time is by seconds. Yeah, I know there's half a second and a quarter of a second, but the clocks universally around the world go mostly by seconds. We either gain or lose life relative to this verse here, the purpose of God in our life, by the seconds. Gone, gone. If what I did is good, it's gone. If what I did is bad, it's gone. It can't be undone either way. What I did was right, it's gone, 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 gone. What I did was right, what I did was wrong, gone, gone, gone. And it can work both ways. Instead of sitting on what you did in the past that was so good and so right, just remind yourself, that's gone. How many seconds have ticked off the clock since we've been in this building? Quite a few. But if what you've done is wrong in the past, thankfully, it's gone under the blood. And that's also gone. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's gone. It's water over the dam. You can't bring it back one way or the other. So the only thing that we have is the present. I won't even say the future because we don't know what the rest of this day holds. We only know what's happening right now. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. Now here's, let me just read this verse again. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now a lot of people stop there. Well, I love God. And then you take the conversation from there. But that's not all that the verse says. It's not just to those that love God, it's to those that are the called. You see, Jesus would say, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. And then there was a big mystery there too, at least for me. But he called me. I didn't ask, as someone was in my office many years ago, and we were doing some counseling, it was a woman. And uh, we got talking about her marriage, which was the subject we were talking about, and uh, what she did for a living, and I was just making some suggestions about that there, then I got into the pastor, and she said, you chose to be a preacher. I said, I did not choose to be a preacher. God chose me. Why? I don't know. I truly don't know. But he did. He chose me before the foundation of the world. This is what I'm supposed to be. He called me. And for it comes from the general salvation, before we loved him, he loved us. Before we love God. I love God. I love God. Everybody loves God. And look at the shape of the world. So it's not so much our love for him as much as it is his love for us and the fact that he called you. And so everything in your life right now is working together for good. Now you say, well, I got you there, Pastor, because I don't like my job and I'm stuck in it. No, you're not stuck in it. 
If you don't like your job and you really believe you're not where you're supposed to be, then it's going to take some faith to get you out to move and get another job. You see what I'm saying? You say, well, you know, that's not true because your wife, your husband, your ch- whatever, you can talk about anything you want. But if you're called, and I think everybody here today in this room would say, yes, I was called by the Lord, then you ought to know that anything and everything in your life is working together for the good. And why? Because you love God? Not as much as the fact that you were called to fulfill his resolution, his purpose. And I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I think God is wise in not telling us everything up front. If God had revealed to me what the next 45 years were going to be when I was in my early 20s, I don't know I would have been so enthused about saying, okay, I'm glad I don't know everything about the future because sufficient for the day is all the trouble that I have. I have enough trouble for today. I'm going to get through today. Sometimes when the day seems too long, I just go hour by hour. This morning is one of those hour by hours. But it's working for good. And if you can understand and accept this little experiment that I did strictly for me, it wasn't for anybody else, it was strictly for me, the seconds ticking off the clock, gone, 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 so that I can make sure that I spend the rest of my life not satisfied in what I did, but still moving forward to things that are yet left, that are not yet done, that need to get done. Ambitions that I have with God is most pressing in my mind. That experiment that I did with myself two weeks ago, maybe three the most, has been very helpful. We're losing life by the seconds, not necessarily by the minutes, hours, days, weeks, or years. And so I would not have signed on, well, not so readily, probably would have signed on anyway, because what's the alternative? Like Peter says, well, where can we go? Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? Let me be very bold today with you. If there was another way to heaven that was a lot easier than this one, wouldn't you take it? Because I'm telling you, I would. I would. Absolutely, I would. If I could breathe my way to heaven by just taking deep breaths and, you know, getting all the oxygen 100% and calming myself down, if that was salvation, I would take that. I'd be all done with this. But I know, as we sang it this morning, there is no other name. There is no other way. And this is the way. The narrow way that Jesus spoke about. There is no other way. So here on the first day of the year 2023, you are being alerted that God from the beginning already had a resolution. Listen to me, that he fully intends to carry out in your life. Fully intends. He's not going to negotiate with you. You're not going to say, well, I'll go half the way. Let's split it. You know, I'll do this, but let's skip that. God does not negotiate. And he's not going to negotiate with you. He's not negotiating with me. Come to a fork in the road, which I think in Christian life you come to quite frequently. And you have an opportunity to go left, which would be the wrong direction, or keep to the right, bare right, which is the correct narrow way. And you have to still make a decision. You want to go on or you want to quit? So we go on. So all you need to do is to begin to read, particularly the New Testament, and get a real good picture of Jesus' character, not all of his deeds as much as his character, and realize that that's what's happening to you. You know, for some, God is pouring out blessings, which is what we always pray for, and the way I signed off last year, last night, pray for a happy and a blessed new year, blessed new year. But 
When God decides that he has to slice with his scalpel to remove something, well, that's the part that we don't like. It's still a blessing, but we don't recognize it as a blessing. We don't like these obstacles. We don't like these tests. How often do you think, because I think about it frequently, but how often do you think, what would be the sum total, using my analogy of seconds, gaining or losing life by the seconds, what do you think of yourself will be the sum total of your life? Give me in mind, seconds tick off, one minute is gone forever. 60 of those minutes tick off the clock, that hour is gone forever, can't get it back. And then the days, the weeks, the months, the years, they add up. And what are you thinking of when you're thinking that after all those seconds have ticked off the clock in my life, this will be the outcome, this will be the sum total of who I am, of who I became, and all that. If you don't have a clear picture, look at verse 29, because that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen unless, as we read in John chapter 6, verse 66, when Jesus got to a point in his teachings that some of the disciples, not the apostles, couldn't bear his teachings anymore. They all turned away and walked away. And John 6.66 says, and many, many of his disciples walked with him no more. In that case, whatever the purpose was that God had in mind, was the same here. To conform them to the image of his son was never fulfilled. Unless at some point in time, which the Bible doesn't record, they turned back. But the Bible doesn't say they turned back, just says they turned away. They could endure him no more. Now, who talks about Jesus in that respect? But that's the Jesus of this Bible. That some people could not endure him. They could not take his words. They could not take his lifestyle. They could not take his commands, the things that he said. Anybody could have took his healing. But they couldn't take what he was demanding of them. But assuming that won't be you, that you're never going to turn around, then you can be sure that God is going to fulfill his purpose, which I'm asking the fact that it's probably not your purpose until we concede to the fact that this is what's been predestinated before the world began, that he's going to conform us into the image and likeness of his son at all points in character. The question I'm asking you is, do you give much consideration as to what is going to be the sum total of your life when all the seconds have been added up? And only God knows what hour, what day, in what hour, on what day, month, year, whatever. That clock is going to tick and the heart's going to stop. Actually, your respiration stops before your heart stops. I've heard the death rattle before. I mean, not in a movie. I mean, I've actually seen it, heard it, and watched people die. And watched a man die on the floor of a diner while we tried to resuscitate him when he had a massive stroke. Now, of course, we didn't know that. He just flopped over onto the floor, and we gave him CPR. We had just come from a meeting, a Christian meeting, a youth meeting. He flopped over on the floor. I mean, did anybody know that that night when I was preaching and teaching that this man, who was dedicated Christian, by the way, that this man, this was his last night on earth. He didn't know it. I didn't know it. No one knew it but God alone. And they were there ready to order our food. And the waitress came over, took our order for drinks or whatever. And the next thing I know, he's, he just slid over on the seat, fell over on the seat. I asked my friend over there, is he fooling around? Because he liked to kid around a lot. And he said, I don't think so. We got him off the seat. Pushed him onto the floor, moved tables around. I was the only one that knew CPR at the time and started working on him, but he never came back. Never came back. My point is that he did not know that when the clock hit that second, whatever second it was, that was the last second he would be on earth. He didn't know it. We didn't know it. It just happens as all of us here are adults. We understand that's the way it goes. 
What I'm asking you is this, how much serious consideration do you give to what will be the sum total of all the seconds of your life that are now gone, 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 gone? We all say, we wanna hear the Lord say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, but if that's the case, read the 25th chapter of Matthew to see what the conditions are to hear that. It's duty. There's three parables in there, and all of them deal with duty. All of them deal with faithfulness. All of them deal with doing what God has said to do in the parables that Jesus gives us. Doing what God has said to do, what the master said to do, the five virgins of the ten and all that. It all has to do with duty. It doesn't do with comfort. It has to do with duty. My question the third time, do you give serious consideration to what is going to be the end of your life after all those seconds are tallied up. And only God knows which time when the clock ticks is the final tick for you. Because I've always given serious consideration to that. And I know what I want. There was a man who died in 2015 at the age of 106, which is pretty old. He was born in 1909. And as the story goes, they had a show, some type of show, talk show, In 1988, British Broadcasting Corporation invited him to be a part of an audience. I know that he did not know why he was invited there. He just showed up, him and his wife. And at some point during that show, all the people in the audience stood up except him. And they were all looking at him and all applauding him. Well, it turns out that on the eve of World War II, he took it upon himself to rescue 669 children out of Czechoslovakia, And he kept a record of them, their names, identities, pictures of them, all of this, and placed them in homes in England, 669 children. And for 50 years, he never told a soul what he had done. And then, at some period of time, his wife was up in the attic of the house, and she discovered this journal that he had and figured out what he had done. He'd never told a soul, 50 years. She, in turn, gave it to a journalist, and then they invited him here And later he found out just why all these grown people, these adults, were clapping because each one was one of the children that he had rescued out of Czechoslovakia. 669. How many were there that night? I don't know, but there was hundreds. And he goes down, of course, in life as a great humanitarian. But he kept it to himself. He never told anybody what he did. And the addendum to this story is that all of the parents of those once children, all of them died at Auschwitz. All the parents died. They would have died too. But being a German Jew, even though he lived in England, he was taking a big chance rescuing one child at a time or a family at a time, three or four of them at a time, until the number reached 669. And they were adopted and taken into homes. And as they say, the rest is history. He's called one of the heroes of the Holocaust. There were others. But he kept it to himself for 50 years. So I'm going to say that the seconds that ticked off the clock, at least during that period of time, was very beneficial to 669 young children, little children, that went on to become adults who would not have been even alive had no one cared, had no one taken the time to rescue them from the oncoming invasion of the Nazi regime. What will your life be when all the seconds are added up and all the resolutions that people make, all the ambitions that they have? What will your life have been when that last second ticks off the clock Your lungs no longer receive or push out any air, and then a few seconds later, the heart follows, and it's the last beat, and you're gone. You see, for me, that's the only way to view life. 
because it gets us to prioritize things. And we do and should have our moments of rest and comfort, but we have to make sure that our rest and comfort is only because we have to recover to go back to work for God or to have God continue to work on us. I have never met a person who is under the handiwork of God, you know, when he's working on their lives in a way that's not pleasing to them, who can fully appreciate this is saving their life. You understand that repentance is not once, it's an ongoing, everyday thing? And that life that we know as sanctification, we're called to a holy life, and we live in a world that pushes sin in our face, and I think that it's getting worse. Almost at every moment, a temptation And we have to stay focused on verse 29. Well, 28 and 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. In the beginning, we know that God created all of mankind, humanity, in his own image. We know that that was marred by the sin of our progenitors, Adam and Eve. And sin has permeated everything, including our thinking, that we know of of this world. Christ comes to save his people from their sins and begins a process, not to convert them once and for all, but a process of conversion, a lifetime of added up seconds on the clock that we are being converted to the image and likeness of Christ. And if you don't fully appreciate that, then you're not going to be able to say, and we know all things are working together for good. I watched a little video, though I remember this anyway, not that long ago when Muhammad Ali was asked about his conditioning routines for fights, and he said that he hated to train. When asked how many sit-ups that he did back in the day when he was doing his training, he said he didn't really know how many sit-ups he did because he never started counting until they hurt. How do you count time? How do you look at yourself? One of the most difficult things that I find in being a preacher, being a teacher of the Word of God, is that I have no control over what you do with the message. Now, it's not that I want control over your life. I don't. I truly don't. Controlling my own life is work enough. But I have no control over what you do with the Word of God, whether you will read the Bible through this year, cover to cover, or you won't. Whether you're going to say, absolutely, I'm going to do it, and maybe I'll even do it twice, or you're going to make excuses. Whether you remain a man or woman of fearfulness, or not. I have no control over that. The only thing I actually control is myself and to be in compliance with God's purpose for my life, which is to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. Now, if you know me very well, you're going to say, you don't look like Jesus. And I know that I don't because I am a sinful man. But I'm not violating God willfully, I'll tell you that much. So, you know, what you see or people see, I don't pay much attention to that either. I only know the working that God is doing in me, and I have every intention to comply. How about you? Or you just say, well, you know, I've always been a kind of a, then you go through this, what was it, your genetics? I'm not talking about heart disease genetics. I'm talking about fearful and weak and all that. Well, you know, this runs in my family. What family are you in now? You're in the family of God. My friends, it's time to put away the excuses. Well, you know, this is my habit. It's time to stop. No more excuses. Because if I was to ask you to raise your hand, everybody's going to raise their hand here. I know most all of you pretty well. Are you truly born again? Your hands are going to go up. So we'll count that. We'll concede the point that you have been called by God and you're born again. 
Now the question is, do you concede the point that God is working his purpose in you, which at times is not what you want? It's inconvenient. It's painful. It's provocative. Most people don't like a rebuke. But the book says, if you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you even more. Someone who's trying to perfect their expertise in anything from musical instruments to anything that you can name, sports, doesn't matter. If you can point out what they're doing wrong in their swing or on a fretting instrument, stringed instrument, drummers, doesn't matter, singers, whatever it is, if you can point out what you're doing wrong or someone can point out what you're doing wrong, you enjoy it. You say, thanks so much. I was wondering why I can't hit that note. But if you're just, well, basically a hack, a bluffer in sports, in music, at work, if you're a bluffer, because you can quote some scriptures, you can get through, because you know the language, you know the Christian language is biblical language. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, amen. You're a bluffer. You've been bluffing your way for years, and God knows the difference. Sometimes we don't know the difference, but God knows the difference. But my friends, I think that the pressure and the stress that's mounting up on all of us, we're going to find out. We're going to find out pretty soon. My intention here today is to encourage you to understand that no matter what's going on in your life, there are tests. If you look in the book here, take the time to read it, which most of you have. I want you to think through the characters. You can send me an email and you could tell me you found a biblical character. I mean, you can start with Adam if you want. Uh, That would be a good place to start, as a matter of fact. And find me a biblical character here or here in the New Testament that was not tested by God and fashioned by God to his own image. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. The truth of it is, everybody who's ever belonged to God in reality is fashioned by God into what God wants. Think of rearing children. Is there ever a child that is actually disciplined? I'm not talking about even corporal punishment, meaning you know some type of a swatter or something. I'm talking about telling them that's way too much time you're spending on that video game. You need to read books and difficult books and improve the mind and so on, the body. Well, the Bible tells us the obvious, that children bristle at discipline. And so do we. We bristle at discipline. The difference being in the home, we see the father or the mother, if they're there. We see the physical, the corporeal. But with God, he's invisible. We don't see, or many people don't see, that what's happening in the world today, though it be evil, is fulfilling the purpose of God that was announced in Genesis and prophesied all the way through, including the New Testament, that we are fulfilling the will of God. It's evil. I mean, some of it is evil. Quite a lot of it is evil. But God spoke of these things and said, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And it's working together for good. If you can come to a place of agreement with God's word, that it's his purpose in your life that I mentioned a couple times today, it will be done because you say you're called and I don't doubt that you are. Then God's will is going to be performed in conforming you to the image and likeness of Jesus. If you don't like loneliness, you may find yourself alone. If you don't like, well, I don't know, I can think of a lot of things you don't like, a lot of things I don't like. And God's going to make sure that if Jesus' character is found in there and there's a flaw, there's something that you need to grow in, it's going to be presented to you. I mentioned fear. That's a big one for a lot of people. And anger is as well. And God's going to say, conquer it. How do you conquer fear, by the way? Does anybody know? There's only one way. You go straight into it. 
But that's not what you want to do because you're afraid of it. But that's the whole point. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. What tests us is not the verse, it's the test. I should say what perfects us is the test that we go through and see that we made it. That no matter what comes up against us, we're still standing because Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my people and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Are you intellectually ready to accept the fact that God predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his son and that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren? That's intellectually. Then are you willing to accept it by faith that whatever is in your life right now is pronoia? It's working together for good. You don't see the good. I don't always see the good. I just know by faith it's working for good and that in the course of time, I trust, as it has been in the past, that the good will be shown to me once I'm through the storm. And then I realize I've been made stronger. I'm growing taller in the Lord, building more strength and so on. That's your resolution. Whatever you got on paper may be fine. I have goals. They're on paper. But this is God's resolution right here. Let me read it one more time and we'll pray. And we know, if you didn't when you came in, you do now. We know that all things, things I don't like, I don't care for, the things we pray to God to deliver us from, And God may say, you're going to stay in the valley of the shadow of death until you learn that when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear. You will not fear even when you're in that valley. Until you know that everything is working together for good and you say, oh, I love God. And that's great. But you love God only because he first loved you. So the credit and the glory goes back to God because you are called according to his purpose. And for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There's your New Year's resolution, not only for this year, but for every year. For those of you who have some time in the Lord, that's always been the resolution that God has. Therefore, the apostle Peter says, don't think it's something strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to try you. Because this is the purpose of God. We'll pray this morning. January the 1st, 2023. You either were A, reminded, or B, you were initiated into the truth that what is going on in your life, everything, has some purpose to it. And that purpose is God's predetermined plan for you to be conformed to the image and likeness of the Son in character, in His character that you are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And with this, we can go forward in confidence. Are you willing to accept the truth? That's the truth. I actually thought, just to see what your response would be, when I send you out my weekly email telling you title of my message, what verse I'm going to use, I really contemplated just putting in the email without any comment. I was going to teach you today how to be a better you. (laughs) Now, of course, that's not what I would have taught on, just to see, just to see what your response would be. How to be a better you. Your best life is now. Huh. If that's the case, I don't want to go to heaven because if this is my best life now, then heaven is going to be a step down. No, the best is yet to come. Amen. The best is yet to come. When God is finished, he says on the cross, when it's finished, 
when he's finished with you, when he's finished with me, we're going to be able to be exceedingly joyful. But that time is not yet. Let the work of God proceed. Let's be what we are, indeed, clay in the hands of the potter. Father, we just pray this morning, I pray this morning, that this message would become clear to all who have ears to hear it. We all grew up with various notions of Christianity, what it is, how it was explained to us by people, some of which, I suppose, maybe a good deal of which was true. But today we just dug right to the heart of the matter. Before we were born, our parents were born, grandparents, great-grandparents, all the way back into the garden, you had determined to make us in your image of character. And we marred that plan back in the garden, so... Jesus comes and gives us a New Testament through the Spirit, and it's the same plan. You're conforming us to your image and your likeness, which we bristle at, because that's not what we want. We want comfort. We want ease. We don't want to have to have these uh, hassles all the time. Yet that was the life of Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Well, help us, Lord. Help all of us here today. To be able to understand that no matter what, you will build your church. No matter what, you're going to have your purpose fulfilled in our lives because we say we're called and we are. We say we love you and we do, but you loved us first and we just responded. Now you're working works in us and you will have a finished product, a fearless, intrepid, redoubtable and joyful, confident sons and daughters, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We may never rescue 669 little children from the hands of the Nazi regime, but you did say we would do works even greater than what you did, and I don't understand all that. I just believe it. Help us today, God, on this very first day of the new year. If some here today have never seen this before, open their eyes that they can see it, that what's happening in their life is that you're working your purpose, not theirs. Your purpose. God, I ask you today to help us to accept this. Say, this is what God purposed for me. Conform to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. By faith, God, today I accept it. This is your plan. And it's your plan for everybody, not just me. But I accept it. I wonder if today you could say that to yourself. I accept it. And you're going through a difficult time and you don't like it. And that's difficult to say. I know. Difficult for me to say, but I'm not turning back. I'm not giving up. In your heart of hearts, can you say it today? Lord, I accept your purpose is to conform me. It's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to please me, but I accept it, Lord. Give me the strength and grace not to quit. Give me the strength and grace not to have my name found in John 666 when I turn around and walk away from you. Go to another church that accommodates me, but I don't even realize in my heart I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm just listening to his name being spoke over and over again. Help us to understand these things. They're not intellectual. They're spiritually discerned what it means to follow Jesus. Help us today, God. You know the hearts of all of your people. Help us all to accept that we are being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Thus, here in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll give you all the praise, surrounded by terrors, surrounded by frightening things and voices and reports, so many of which are coming directly from satanic sources through either the media or those who govern us. Nah. We'll just trust your word. We'll just trust your book. We'll just trust what you have said. And it's your report that we will believe. We bless you and we praise you. We praise you. 
in the valley of the shadow of death, with all of these things surrounding us, we will not fear any evil. We're going to close the service and begin the new year. Read your Bible every day. You skip a day, you miss a day, whatever. You go back and you do it again. You don't give up. You pray without ceasing. Bear the fruit of the Spirit and so on. Do your duty. God knows. Father, we just thank you and bless you for this new year. Now we understand that you, from the beginning, always had a purpose for us. It wasn't just simply to go to a church meeting, say hallelujah, and go home. It was to bring us through the valley of the shadow of the death and just hammer us and shape us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. For this, we give you praise. For this, we give you glory. And for this, we give you honor. And all of it today, Father, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen.